Hey everyone! Welcome to episode 144 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. Heads up, stay tuned to the end of the show to hear who won our inaugural Landscape Conservation Award. This week's episode features a landscape photographer from Johnson City, Tennessee, Jerry Greer. Jerry matriculated from his 4x5 film camera to digital in 2007 and hasn't looked back. Don't worry, film lovers, next week we go the opposite direction, so uh, we, we bring you some love. Jerry also spent most of his career publishing books for himself and other photographers, and I really enjoyed tapping into his knowledge about that. We covered a wide variety of topics, including his transition from film to digital, his work on conservation and environmental assignments, his publishing company Mountain Trail Press, his partnership with Ian Plant and Richard Burnaby, why he took a five-year break from photography in 2014, and a lot more. Over on Patreon this week, Jerry shares some of his his thoughts on how to approach a book project. I've personally been thinking about doing a book project for a while, and uh, talking to him was really helpful. So if you're thinking about doing this as well, this was a good one to check out. Head over to patreon.com slash f-stop and listen for more information on how you can support the podcast and get bonus content at the same time. Okay, let's get to the show. Cool. Jerry Greer, it's awesome to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been enjoying uh, all of our bantering over on social media about random non-photography topics. <laughs> it's been uh, it's been fun just kind of talking. It sounds like we have very similar political ideas too, which is always fun. So. Yeah, the the political, uh, my political uh, position sometimes gets me in a little bit of trouble. Well, you're not alone, my friend. <laughs> but that's all right. We're not here to talk about politics. We're here to no, talk about photography. So yes. Um, well, for people that uh, aren't familiar with you and your work, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I've been uh, been shooting since wow. Well, since high school, you know, and and I'm kind of old. So you know, back in the '70s and '80s. Uh, but uh, mostly, uh, I've been shooting outdoor nature since '94, uh, and. By the way, I got started uh, after I got out of the military and at Fort Carson in Colorado Springs. Oh, cool! And stayed there, <laughs> stayed there for a number of years. Oh, and, I didn't uh, know that. Oh yeah, I do miss it. That's how I met Todd Cottle. Oh, know, okay, Todd. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's where I'm from originally, is Colorado Springs. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah I was a mountain bike racer and all those good things back then, and uh, started shooting bike racing. And shot bike racing in mountain bike action and all those magazines back then. And then gradually went over into, uh, you know, outdoor and nature. How did you, how did you find that transition? <laughs> Pretty easy living in Colorado. <laughs> right. It's I've, I've told people like, it's kind of, it's kind of like landscape photography, easy mode. So, yeah. Well, for the most part. I mean, it's really fun to bring one of you guys back here right? and, w- and watch you for the first 
three hours. <laughs> You're like, what do, what do I take a picture of? <laughs> yeah. Your head against the tree. You know, Todd was here, you know, this, this last fall and, you know, for the first 30 minutes, you know, he had tears in his eyes and stuff because he just couldn't, you know, I, I still joke with him about it. You know, just he was struggling getting things going, getting those creative juices. But once once you get the hang of it and, you, you know, the fog rolls in and you have this incredible color, something more than just yellow. You know, we have we have other colors than that, you know, reds and oranges and those things, um, you know, things go, you know, it starts to flow as with most, most, uh, you know, photographers in general. Yeah. And where, where are you located? I am, uh, up upper Northeast Tennessee. Um, I'm about 70 miles from the Smokies, but still about an hour and a half drive. There's no easy way there. Um, so I'm an hour and 20 minutes, uh, East, uh, of Knoxville and right on the Virginia North Carolina, Kentucky border. So I'm right up in that tip. Okay, cool. So it's in a perfect spot. I'm, I'm 40 minutes. I can be on top of Roan Mountain. Very cool. Which is most people know of Roan Mountain if they've looked at Eastern photographs, especially of mine since I live so close to it. And yeah, there's it, no trees. No trees. Is it, is it kind of your muse? Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, Nye Simmons, a good friend of mine. He's a I don't know if you know Dr. Nye Simmons, but uh, he's a, a photographer, and uh, he he named the these three three rocks, and you'll see them in my images. A lot of them from Rhone. Um, he he named them Jerry's rocks. You know, ah. so I have my own rocks you know, named after me up there. Well, that's cool. Uh, it's funny. I'm actually reading um, Ansel Adams' biography. And he has a mountain in Yosemite that he named after himself. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, why not, right? I mean, well, you know what? I do have to tell you before I forget this. You know, something's really awesome that told me a lot about my life. It's just my birthday is June the twenty fifth, and that's David Munch's birthday, which is my all time favorite large format photographer. My daughter was born February the 20th. That's Ansel Adams' birthday. Oh, there you go. How lucky is that? You got it. You've, you've got it in the stars. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you started out, sounds like shooting film and um, I believe you transitioned to four by five in 2002. Yes. Yep. And then along you, with, yep. Along with Todd Cottle, him and I did it at the same time. Nice. And then you, and then you switched to digital in 2007. So that's, um, so five years of shooting four by five and then, and then a quick switch over to digital. What was that? What was it like making that transition? Because it's, I feel like that's a relatively big switch. It was pretty amazing actually. Um, shooting large format changed me as a photographer period. Um, you know, when you start shooting a view camera, you see things differently, Mm. namely upside down Mm -hmm. first off. Um, So you see things totally different. Um, It slows you down. So today I still shoot the same way. Uh, I don't go out and just fire lots of images. I was going to say you shoot upside down. (laughs) No, no, if I could, (laughs) but, but, um, 
you know, what I found was in certain situations, it didn't allow for me to do a lot of the things that I kind of was being pulled to do. You know, at that time I was all landscape, uh, but I wanted to do some other things. I was, I was starting to, um, I was doing books, um, in books, you don't really need a four by five transparency. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just don't. Um, but I also wanted to do some close up work that could be done on a large format. And I did some of it using a six, six, seven back, uh, and mounting it onto a four by five and working it that way. Uh, but it's still, it's, it's a tough process. Uh, so I started looking into digital and looking at, of course, the tilt shift lenses. I'm a Canon shooter. I've been a Canon shooter for years and I'll probably never leave. Sony couldn't, you know, those guys, Nikon, Sony, they're all great. Fuji, they're just awesome, but I'm just a Canon guy. I'm used to them. I love their lenses. Um, but I, I, I really stayed with those guys because of the tilt shift lenses yeah, allow yeah. for me to do those, do that same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, utilize the movements and not have to manipulate a file in order to emulate, you know, a movement uh, that I could do in, in a, uh, you know, with a tilt shift lens. Right. So. Um, and what, by that, you mean like focus stacking? No, uh, you know, tilting and rise and fall. Uh, you know, when you when you look at my my forest scenes, which is where I love to shoot, my trees are straight. Oh, right. Unless, unless I want them to not be straight, to converge, you know, or what have you. Uh, you know, I use the rise and fall. I set the camera up, and I can change the actual image, the way it looks, everything straight, uh, parallel, trees parallel. Right, um, right, that, right. That's you know, um, it's much easier to do it. You can control everything. Um, you don't really have to worry about it that much anymore. Uh, but those lenses are pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but shooting it, looking at digital because of books and giving me a little more freedom. Um, I felt, uh, well, it was tough because there's a certain group of people back, especially back then that were shooting large format. And it was pretty amazing. Charlie Kramer called me after I I left and asked me how the transitioning was going. (laughs) And, you know, Charlie's another one of those. um, We haven't talked in years, but I mean, to get a call out of the blue, um, just wanting to know how it was going because he was thinking about it as well. Of course, at that time, you know, it was 80 meg or, or 40 megapixel, uh, you know, digital backs and those type of things. But, um, you know, I, I just remember telling him, you know, it's going great. It's just my biggest issue is with other large format photographers that were really mad at me for, uh, for a jumping ship. <laughs> Cause it was really pretty amazing. Why, why were people mad at you for that? Well, it's just, uh, they, you know, there was that digital versus film uh, split. You know, it was that going to the dark side <laughs> and <laughs> the redheaded stepchild kind of idea. You know, feeling you know that uh, a lot of people weren't happy with uh, you know dumping uh, you know film and those yeah. things. And I, recently- God, I remember getting into some monster you know arguments with people over 
resolution and things. <laughs> yeah, I, I recently uh, taught like a quick class at a photography um, club here in Durango. And uh, there was a guy in the audience that pretty much he introduced himself as, I don't even remember the guy's name, but he's basically what he had to say was that he didn't believe anything other than film was actual photography. And I was like, oh, huh, okay. All right. <laughs> I see how that is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, like that's a very bold statement, <laughs> but I, I guess I could see if like, that's what you grew up with. And I mean, they are two very different uh, formats. So I kind of get that. Well, I can say I would never go back. <laughs> I, I mean, I do miss some of those things. Um, I miss the the technical aspects. Uh-huh. You you had to know how to expose, right? Period, because it, you know it's five bucks a shot, <laughs> right? Unless you were just there's, crazy wealthy, <laughs> sure. So, you know, um, it, it, there was, you know, stacking filters. I was really good at stacking neutral, you know, indie grads, mm-hmm. multiples, <laughs> you know, because you had to. Right. Now I don't even use them. I mean, I'll just take two <laughs> shots. Right. I'm the same way. <laughs> so um, I know some, some photographers still use them, but I just don't, I, you know, I, my my scenes aren't flat, so right. I would just soon take. You know, I, I, I'm happy with taking two images and blending them and and having at it. But I do I do sometimes miss it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I miss the that connection mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that you have with a camera. I had two beautiful um, ebony cameras uh, from. I was sponsored by Ebony uh, way back then, and of course. Hiromi, he's he's now you know shut that facility down and retired, but uh, mm-hmm. but uh, the, the I wished I'd have kept one of them, hmm. but I didn't. <laughs> yeah, well, so uh, one of the other things that I know that you are well known for is book publishing, and um, I believe you self published your first book in 1999, and you've yes. got what eight total books just for your just. Actually- Actually, it was nine. Oh, nine. Okay. I left off. I left off one. Okay. So, t- tell me a little bit about publish. Like, why? Why would you get into publishing photography books, anyways? Because um, I feel like that's not something people commonly do anymore. Well, they don't. Uh, it's it's just it's kind of a different world. Um, you know, when I left Colorado, of course, Todd Cottle was a wonderful friend of mine, and he actually publishes his own books. He owns Skyline Press. Mm-hmm. And being that I wasn't going to be his competitor, he took me under his wing and said, I'm going to teach you how to do this. Man, I was, you know, I'm a lucky guy. And he actually, after I moved back, I, you know, I shot for, I guess, a year or so really, really heavily. And, uh, then he came out for two weeks and the first week he helped me put together my first book, which was Appalachia, the Southern Highlands. Mm. And Just when, a small, and, small eight by nine. And when was this? 1990. That would, that would be 99. Okay. Um, and we put it together on a computer, finished it, packaged it up, 
and then we went and went, sh- you know, went shooting at, to shoot in the mountains for a week, came back. And then he set me up with a printer, which that's the printer I still use today and shipped it off to the printer. I ordered 5,000 copies of my first book <laughs> and yeah, they, you know, they delivered it. They delivered to my house, uh, eight, 10 weeks later, you know, I had a wall full of books <laughs> and uh, I'm like, what the hell, what the hell did I do? You know, <laughs> I got 5,000 books. Right. And, and I am a salesman. Um, that was my life before it's my life now as well. And I went out and sold 5,000 copies in 10 months. That's pretty good. And that was the day when you could go into a books a million, which you guys didn't have them on the West coast there. It's basically a Barnes and Noble, Uh um, and a borders at that time we had borders, Barnes and Noble books a million. But at that time you could go into those and they had a buyer. So each one of those stores could buy your book if you were local. And then they had local bestsellers. So whenever they want to talk about why bookstores are going under, I can tell you why. So, because they stopped doing this. And so I went around and I was on morning programs, uh, you know, four hours away. I was on morning programs and going through the book. And uh, so that's how I sold them. I would go to a book signing and there'd be people lined out the door. People I went to high school with, I hadn't seen in, you know, in years, you know, traveled two hours to go buy my book. Wow. And this little teeny eight by nine book, you know, it's just a, it was nine ninety nine, <laughs> And so that's how it all got started. And what was your, what was your investment in that project? Oh, uh, those 7,000 bucks at that time, I think. Okay. I mean, that's a nice little profit, like 40 grand. Yeah. So of course, now I will say that you don't make nine ninety nine. Oh yeah, that's unless true, you right? sell them, unless you sell them all at retail, <laughs> and I'd love to sell all my books at retail. Boy, that would be awesome. I'd be retired. <laughs> right. At that time, you know, it was sixty forty. We get, you know, I got to keep sixty percent. The bookstore got forty. Oh, uh, okay. To, today, that's reversed. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So, yeah, it's a whole different, whole different ball game. Um, and. Of course, from that point, um, you know, after a couple of years, um, actually, I wasn't too long after that that I created my first calendar, which is my Blue Ridge Mountains calendar. That was in 2003. That's my second project okay. uh, when it came to uh, printing. Um, and that was, that calendar continued on until 2019. Oh, wow. Which was the 2019 calendar, which is 2018 is when you, you know, you're always a year ahead. Right. So uh, I, I actually, uh, I uh, retired it in 2019, the last one, which I kind of wish that I hadn't have, but I did. Why did you decide to do that? Well, I used to sell about 8,000 calendars a year and it had gotten down to about 1,500. Mm. So you can, you can also see that when you go into a Barnes and Noble, you know, there used to be walls of calendars and now they're down to just a small little section. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just not something people spend money on. Right. It's just different. Mm -hmm. I mean, people still buy them. Uh, I've had a lot of people that were upset, you know, um, but 
you know, I'd like to bring it back, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't go through the same channels I used to go through. Mm-hmm. I'd want to, I'd want to try to go direct, you know, either, either go Amazon route and go direct through, you know, social media type stuff. Yeah, I've always wondered from a cal- printing a calendar perspective, you know, over the years I've had lots of people ask me why I don't create a calendar. And I've always told people like, well, it's just not worth my time and money. Um, unless you had just crazy volume, but I'm wondering, you know, if someone, if you've been doing it for a long time and you've have it, have it well established, did you see other benefits of having a calendar? Like did people, um, buy prints because they saw your calendar? Like that's kind of what I'm, yeah. I mean, you know, when, when I was doing 8,000 calendars, uh, if I had, I was hoping all, I would always hope to have 50 to a hundred left over. Uh, sometimes even more because I would give those suckers out. Right. I mean, give them free because you give someone a free calendar like that, they find you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it wasn't so bad. You know, when you're when you're doing 8,000 calendars, I mean, and my calendars were not trade calendars. These things were beautiful, real heavy stock, uh, very, very beautiful paper. I used, I always use a, um, a matte art paper and then spot, spot gloss the image. Mm. So, it was just, it was not your cheap calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still, I could get those things, you know, my cost to, to print them. I was printing somewhere because I wasn't having to pay anybody. I was, you know, it was my stuff. You know, I was under two bucks a calendar. Oh, that's nice. For 8000 for 8, Right. You know, and then, like, crap, you know, <laughs> I, it was easy to give away, you know, a few hundred dollars of those to gain a new customer. Mm-hmm or sell a print or what have you. Right. But it's a little different today. Um, you know, there are ways around it. And I think, you know, if you, if you can find a way to sell a thousand of them a year, then they're a good option. If you have uh, a following that will, you know, will buy from you. Right. Right. That's, that's always the trick, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so then you transitioned from, you know, doing, you know, you kind of self-published your first book and then you kind of started your own uh, press company, Mountain Trail Press. I'd love to hear about kind of how that got started and kind of what did you do with it? Well, well technically, I I created Mountain Trail Press when I did my first book. Okay, cool. Because I, I didn't want, so there's a stigma when you self-publish. You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. He's just self-publisher. Um, so I created Mountain Trail Press and it became its own entity. And um, so in, in, in 99, I, I officially created Mountain Trail Press. Um, and I, you know, I was growing it slowly. So as I had the money to create something new, then I paid for it in cash. Mm-hmm. That was my that was my whole plan. I had another job uh, working commercial construction at that time, and I still do. Um, and these were totally separated. So I was growing the publishing business without borrowing money, mm-hmm. which was the whole idea mm-hmm. to create a business that I could actually walk into at some point, and it would be you know, self-sustaining with no debt. Right. 
And so, you know, that's when I, you know, I did the first book and then the calendars started doing the calendars. And then I did another book, my first little small, uh, small hardcover. Um, and that was, uh, Blue Ridge Mountains, uh, America's First Frontier. Great little book, uh, sold it out pretty quickly. I think I did 4,000 of those and it took me about a year and a half to sell those. Um, and then in, gosh, I'm trying to remember, um, 2000, oh, I should have put this down to make sure, but, uh, of course, most everyone knows the implant, um, Ian actually bought into my company. I think that was in 2005. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was 2005. He, he, uh, he saw, a. uh, he saw that I was looking to grow it quicker and he was wanting to get into his photography more and more and more. And, uh, he bought into the company and we took his investment and re-released a load of books. <laughs> and, and that was our one, our wonder and light books. That was an eight by nine, 80 page gift book. And we released a bunch of them and we just put all kinds of books out. You know, uh, these books, uh, we put out Ian's just, I don't know if you've ever seen it. If you can ever get your hands on it, it's his Chesapeake Bay and light book. Um, it is fabulous. I don't think I've seen that. I know. I, I know he's not a great fan of it cause you know, his, his photography has changed so much. But this book is beautiful. His stuff that he has now is just amazing, as everyone knows. This book is its his first big book. And, of course, we did it through Mountain Trail Press. He designed it. Uh, Tom Horton, which is a writer out of uh, the Chesapeake area, wrote the text for this book. But it's just its just wonderful. If you can ever get your hands on it, um, they're still out there. Uh, Amazon has them, I'm pretty sure. You should check them out. Yeah. And so then... Through Mountain Trail Press, uh, how many books do you think you've put out there? Over a hundred. Nice. <laughs> now that's not all in our own imprint. Um, a lot of those books are custom published books or books we, you know, we actually printed as a broker for another small press mm-hmm. that didn't didn't have access to uh, overseas pr- uh, printing. I, I don't print. In, in China, I print in Korea. I've always printed in Korea since since ninety nine. Um, we printed, I think, two books in China, just as kind of a test. They didn't go very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, we we put a lot of books out there. Uh, I'm still putting books out there uh, for for clients. You know, in two thousand. Uh, Oh gosh, 2009, I put out a six-year project. It was my last book that I'd put out, which was a, a really large uh, 10 by 13, 200-page uh, uh, book uh, on the Blue Ridge, on the Blue Ridge Mountains, Blue Ridge Ancient Majestic, written by Charles Maynard. We won uh, the Reed Environmental Writers Award with it, a uh, very pres- prestigious uh, award, which mm-hmm. is just amazing. Uh, that book's been out of out of print for a while. I did not reprint it after I sold through that print run. 
That's awesome. Well, I know one of the things that you have kind of in your feathers in your cap is environmental and conservation assignments. And I'm curious, mm-hmm. how did you even get started in those types of shoots? Um, I, I kind of fell into it somewhat. Um, I have a couple of really good friends that, um, that work, uh, in the environmental community here, Asheville, North Carolina is really close. Mm -hmm. And most of your conservation organizations within the Blue Ridge, it's, it's, it's kind of like Boulder. Oh, uh you know, they just end up there. So I I consider, you know, it's, it's the Southern, it's the, the South Boulder. Um, you know, most organizations, they kind of, they feel like they have to be there. I understand it. Um, it's expensive. Um, (laughs) but, uh, as we both know, um, but that's how I kind of got in. They found me. And then at that point I started working with them like my Blue Ridge book, the, the whole initial printing that this book should have been about a $50 book, but the whole, uh, the, the initial printing of the book the first run of it, I actually went out and worked with my, my partners and they sponsored it. So it was sponsored by the organizations that, that, uh, that I worked with and they actually raised money to pay for that initial printing. So it's allowed for me to price it at thirty nine ninety five. Oh, that That's cool. For a very, very, uh, beautifully printed high quality, uh, hardcover book. And that was kind of my stepping stone, working with these organizations. And, and I've, I've worked with them on and off, and I continue to work with them um, today, even today. And what? I do a lot of work with the, the Southern Environmental Law Center is probably my number one client. And they, they, they're just, I can't, I can never say enough about these guys and what they do, this organization for the and South. And what, what, kind of, what kind of projects are these? Like, what are we talking about? Well, everything they're looking at today, uh, their their main focus is climate change. Mm-hmm. So, uh, at the moment, uh, you know, th- we're looking at other avenues. We're working on different things. Uh, I should have my my certificate for flying my drone and being able to work for people flying my drone, not just mm-hmm. myself. Um, and so we'll we'll be using photographs a little bit different than just a really nice photograph of an area that they're trying to save type thing right so that, that's that's what I've been doing in the past is you know if there's an area that that's being threatened, then they'll contact me and say, "Hey, you know, put this in your books. Uh, I need you to go here, spend some time there, and then we work out a deal gotcha. um um, like when I went down to, uh, well, it's, it's, it's been 10 years ago now. Uh, I photographed the, uh, the Kingston, uh, Kingston, Tennessee, the, the, the coal ash disaster, oh, yeah. the big one. I was there on that one. Uh, I did that on my own. And then of course, when I got down there, they called me and I was already there. Um, but, uh, <laughs> that was my, that was my first, uh, you know, environmental disaster, photography that I'd done. Boy, that was a, that was a rude awakening. 
that was kind of a scary situation. Yeah. If if somebody um, if somebody was listening and they wanted to um, get into that sort of photography in terms of you know working on conservation or environmental assignments, like how, how would somebody go about even starting down that path? Uh, you you need to research the the organizations that have an interest in you know, your, your region that you're working in and go sit down with them and, and talk with them, try to work out, uh, you know, uh, a connection, uh, or an agreement, uh, you know, Hey, if you've, if there's something specific that you need in, in my, my region, uh, give me a chance, you know, to, uh, to go, uh, you know, do a shoot for you. Um, and if you do a good, if you do good work, you follow up and you, you give them what they want. They'll, they continue to come back. Now I, I can, I can say, you know, I've, I've been through that, um, that slow time, 2008, you know, that's when mountain trail press changed, uh, because of, you know, nearly everything stopped. I'm not sure how old you are. I'm 41. Uh, but I, Right, so you you were you were there th- during this the two thousand eight. Oh yeah, I I uh, yeah. I bought my first house in two thousand seven. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> um, so you know a lot of people are young and they they were still in school and so they missed all of this, but some of us uh, barely made it through it. Right. Um. Right. You know, I of course you know just before that I went through a really really bad divorce. So. Uh, there was, it was all bad timing yeah. for me. And, you know, so that was, of course, I know we'll talk about this at some point. That was where the sabbatical came in and, and Ian leaving. And of course, Richard Burnaby was, uh, you know, he was a partner as well. We hadn't got to that point and him leaving a couple of years after that. Um, and you know, it, it was just a tough time, but even during that time, the really strong conservation organizations kept moving, kept working, mm-hmm. but the ones that weren't quite so strong, uh, they, they, they were sunsetted. Uh, a lot of them were sunsetted and just didn't make it or they didn't want to pay anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's the struggle, you know, cause a lot of, of conservation organizations, they know that, Landscape photographers, nature photographers, outdoor photographers love what we do. <laughs> right. So you're saying they take advantage of that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I've, that's kind of been my experience. Like, oh, can you give us this photograph? That'd be awesome. Thank you. And it's, it's, it's really hard, you know, and this is why I tell, you know, especially new photographers coming into the market, don't give your stuff away. Because when you give your stuff away, us old guys that are out here trying to make a living off of it, we're going, we're starving. <laughs> but it's not the fact that, you know, our stuff isn't good. I mean, today, I mean, there's some wonderful photographers out there, retired, uh, you know, guys that retired early at 50 years old. They never have to work a day in, you know, in their life again. Right. They're set. And I mean, they're putting out some wonderful stuff, but yet, and they'll give that stuff away. And that just takes, away a job of 
someone that's actually working for a living. Yeah. And I, I don't and, see that changing anytime soon. No. And, and, and it's such a struggle and boy, it, it, this is where I get a little down on it because I, I still struggle uh, with photography in general. Um, Cause I love it. It's my life. Even though I had to walk away from it because I'm, I'm 55 years old. So, um, and I got a 12 year old. So, um, Hey, me too. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's one of those things where, you know, you had to, you have to make a decision. Um, and you know, you, you have to come to the grips with what's going on in the market and, and try to make it balance. Mm-hmm. Um, but conservation is, is tough and I'm really not in it. Like I would like to be, yeah. I would like to be in, in conservation photography full on 100%, but I'm not, you know, it, I've got a lot to learn. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm learning again. Um, so we'll see how it works out. Uh, you know, I'd like to be able to go and raise funds for a specific project. Right. Right. And like Max Stone and those guys are doing, you know, they go in and they can, they, they, they hatch this idea, you know, and they, and they go in and they, they, they raise the money for this specific project. Right. <laughs> and, and, and then they go do it. You know, they spend a year doing it. Um, I'd love to do that. Yeah. Sounds appealing to me. Although man, spending a year on, on a project would be really hard on a family. I feel like. Well, I mean, you, you don't, have to, you don't, you're not there the whole time. I mean, I spent six years on a book project. Right. I'm and, sure you weren't out 24 seven. No. And you're not, you're not when you're out on a conservation shoot, uh, uh, depending on what you're doing, if you're doing something specific, you're generally, you're working with, uh, some scientists, some researchers, and you're working with them mm-hmm. as well. <clears throat> so, um, it's not 24 seven, you know, it may be one week a month or those type of things. Right. Right. Or it, it could be two weeks or a month away. Uh, that would be tough for me, uh, right now. But right. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to be able to do that. Yeah. No, I, I feel the same way. So you talked about a sabbatical, I guess. When did that happen? About five years ago, two, 2000, gosh. Uh, 20, 2014? Yeah, about 2014. And then you just yeah. decided to put the camera down and, and take a break? What was that about? I had to. Um, I was really just somewhat disgruntled. Um, I, I had to come to grips with myself. I mean, I, I, uh, I was, wasn't happy. I was happy with my life, with my, my wife and my kid. Uh, I wasn't happy with where I was going photographically. Um, you know, the book industry was somewhat, the book industry had changed so drastically that it was, uh, I call it the Walmartization of, of the book industry. So I kind of wanted out, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd taken on some projects that I couldn't give away. And so 
Well, I hate to jump around a lot because uh, uh, I don't want to, if I skip too much, people get lost. Um, but photographers have a real hard, they have a problem when it comes to doing a book. Most photographers don't realize that when you do a book, it's up to you to sell it. This is me talking as a publisher uh-huh. <laughs> and a photographer. So here's what a photographer wants to do. They want to go take pretty pictures. They want to put together this beautiful book and they want the publisher to take that beautiful, that all those beautiful photographs, put it into a book, pay for it, ship it out to all the stores, do all the sales and, and, and figure out a way to, to, you know, we can get it on the shelf. Well, here's what I tell I told all my photographers and my best friend. I told him over and over and over. I said, I could put it on the shelf for you, but I cannot make those people come in off the street to buy it. That's up to you. Here's where my preaching comes in. This is for every photographer out there. If you want to do a book, anybody can print that sucker for you. Now, nobody can print them as good as me, period. I already know that. That's that's not arrogance. I just, there's not many in the U.S. that can put together a book like I can put together for the price I can put it together and and make sure it comes back and delivers beautiful to you. Uh, I'm a photographer, so I just, I can guarantee it. But I can't make those people coming off the street to buy it. So that's where... I try to push the photographer to go out and sell that book. So that photographer has to take time off and become a salesman. Mm-hmm. And when, when I released Blue Ridge, Ancient Majestic, or, or yeah, the Ancient Majestic, me and my writer, we did 50 to 60 book signings. We did morning shows. We did presentations. We did, we sold these things. We won awards with it. I didn't shoot for an entire year hmm. because I had to go sell my book. Mm-hmm. And and that's the way you have to do if you want to sell a book as a photographer. Um, same as with a calendar. You have to get out there and you have to sell it. You have to drive people to the store to pick it up. I was going to say, yeah, it's a little easier. Today. I was going to say, unless you're a super well-established author, I feel like that probably holds true for any type of book. It, it sure does. It's just photographers are the worst. <laughs> because I mean, I, let me, let me, I, let me uh, redirect it. Nature photographers are the worst. We don't want to be inside. Right. Generally we want to spend all of our waking time, um, out, you know, in the woods, you know, in the mountains, um, you know, in the, in the black water, in a kayak or whatever, you know, hauling our stuff and, and, and taking photographs for that next project. But the thing we really need to look at is, you know, we created this piece, this beautiful piece that can make us money, but we got to sell it. Right. <laughs> uh, that's funny. So, how does that uh, how does that segue into you taking a sabbatical? Well, after the book, after everything, all the changes, 
dealing with a distributor a distribution company, you know, when you're a publisher, um, oh boy, it's 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 kind of complicated. So even even though I was a publisher and we had done a lot of books, we still were tiny compared to the big box publishers, the big ones. Right. So Barnes and Noble and those guys wouldn't deal with me. We're too small. They forced me into a distributor. So I had to sign a huge contract, which means that they took a lot of the profits and we were already losing profits because, you know, the change, the 60-40 switch, 60-40 to 50-50 and then 60-40 again. But we were on the 40 end. Um, those guys, they just, after the crash, they just started rolling up their carpet, even though I had a contract. So finally, I just said, I'm done. I'm not going to create any, any more books. They're not selling my books. Uh, they're just taking orders and I couldn't get out of the things. You know, I had to bide my time. So I needed to go back and work. Um, so I went back into the construction industry, kept doing custom publishing for people and brokering, print brokering. And I think we uh, probably will need to explain print brokering to you. Yeah, I think so too. There, when, being custom publishing, being, uh, you know, you come to me and say, hey, I want to publish a book and I don't know how to do it. Um, I want to sell it on my own. Can you help me? And I can, I can certainly help you. I can even design it. I'm not a designer, but I designed all my books. And they won awards, so I'm not too bad. Um, and so I could take that book and design it for you, package it up, send it to my printer, have it printed, deliver to your doorstep, and voila, it's yours to sell. That's custom publishing. And that's what that's yeah. what a print broker does? Nope. A print broker is a person where you come to me and say, Hey, I've got this book and I've got my designer and I would like to have this book printed. I'm, I'm down to, I'm looking for a printer. I'm the guy I can consult, make sure that you have your files, right? I can, I can, I can let you know if your files are, are going to reproduce really good. I can, I can guide you into uh, correcting those files if there's problems because there's certain colors that you can't get on offset press that you can get on a computer screen or a 12 color inkjet printer mm -hmm. uh, we're dealing with four colors and actually it's three colors and, and one it's black yeah was that cmyk that's right yeah so you got three colors and the black is basically tells you how dark or light it is so that's it so there's certain colors that, can, that just can't be done so basically, what I can do is I can broker your printing job to a printer in Korea. I don't do China. <laughs> so, 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 and, and printing in Korea is the quality is, it's another level, but the cost is so much better. I've tried for 20 years to print in the U.S., and boy, 
if you if you want to stay in business, you you can't unless you have a total captive audience to where you can sell your book, your fifty dollar book, and make one hundred percent profits off of it. Because printing in printing in the U.S. generally will cost you double the price. Wow! <laughs> and and it no one wants to buy a two, no one wants to buy a hundred dollar book. <laughs> well, right, you know, like I said, if if you were printing, if you if you had your audience and you could pay twenty dollars for a hardcover book and sell it for forty and make 20, you're good. But the problem is, is we generally don't do that. We generally have to wholesale it, which is at least a 50% discount. So there's your catch. So your $20 book would have to sell for 60 bucks. Right. Or, you know, if it's, if it's selling for 40, you got to give them a 50% discount. So you get 24 and you pay 24. So you make no money. Actually you lose. All right. You, you got to pay shipping and all that crap. Right. So, so, you know, if you have that captive audience, like a gallery, or if you have a huge online presence, if you have that ability to sell direct, man, you could, you can do wonders. You could, you, know, you could print in the U S I mean, they print great. Um, they just are not competitive yet. I've tried <laughs> and I feel bad about it because, man, I'm, I'm an American. I'd love to put a big flag on mine, <laughs> right? but, uh, <laughs> but what, you know, if you can't, you can't, um, at least I don't print in China. If I, if I printed in China, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd be paying a, a pretty, uh, pretty healthy, uh, 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 well, tariff, you know, a tax, yeah. a tariff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I got a letter from my distributor reminding me that if, uh, if I, if I was going to be printing in China, that I would be responsible for the, the tariffs to be paid. Right. <laughs> Don't be confused. China's not paying for anything. Right. It's, we are. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So, so th- that's, that's the gist of, of, of being a, a broker. I'm brokering tons of projects right now. Um, you know, Eric Stenslund's, I'm doing all of his projects for him. Mm-hmm. All uh, the last three years, four years, I can't remember. We've been doing it so long together and it's all kind of blurred. Um, you know, um, all of his calendars, his, his, his note cards and his, his new books, his hiking guides, all those, those were me. That was, that was my company. He has his own designer, which is really great. You know, I just, I got them set up and you know, what they needed, the, the, the custom profiles and everything for their images. They deliver it to me. I, I put it all together, send it to my printers and I, and I work this whole deal and the magic and get it, everything back. And, you know, and it's just, it's really fun. I, I love working with Eric. Um, I'm, I'm dealing with, um, a new client, uh, doing a book, uh, down in, uh, Bufton, uh, South Carolina, uh, can't wait to that one that's coming through. I'm doing one for a actually, you know, a, a competing photographer here in 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 uh, in the Blue Ridge. I'm doing one for uh, for Robert Stevens. Uh, his is actually it's in binding right now. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of funny, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, it, I've had people say, "What you're printing for one of your competitors?" I'm like, so there's enough room for all of us out there if we're all working together. No, I agree. How much capacity do you have for for 
doing those types of projects? Uh, me, me and my wife, she, she, she helps me with it and, uh, we just, we just roll with them. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really fun. I, I enjoy doing it. I'm, I'm good at it. Uh, you know, I want to kind of get back into workshops, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure. Sometimes I'm thinking, well, if this continues with the, you know, uh, the publishing end of it, the brokering end of it, uh, the, you know, maybe I should just do this and then I can just go shoot to clear my head. Right. And you know that type of thing. Shoot for yourself. Yeah. You know, and I, and I do miss teaching, uh, you know, Richard, when Richard Burnaby came into mountain trail press, Ian had a, his brain, the, it works so wonderfully. You know, he likes to put together these groups. You know, he has the shutter monkeys thing now, which is amazing. I love their videos. And so he came up with the, the Mount Trail photo team. Um, and in fact, we did a book, all of us, the kind of the team back then, we did a book called the ultimate guide to Digi- digital nature photography. That's still floating around out there. So Richard came in to run our workshop part of it. We we're going to do workshops mm-hmm. and, and we were growing it and Richard and I were doing workshops and, and, you know, uh, Joe and Ian, Ian were doing a lot of workshops together and then Richard and I were doing workshops together. And of course, um, uh, you know, I miss, I miss doing workshops. I miss teaching. Uh, I'm a salesman and I'm okay at teaching. Uh, I'm not good at explaining how I do my photography. Uh, it just kind of happens. <laughs> yeah it's funny i mean there's amazing uh, there's some amazing photographers out there that are probably terrible teachers because it's uh, two, two very different skills right you know? uh you know richard is a wonderful teacher um joe's a really good a really really good teacher of course everybody knows ian's an incredible teacher i mean he's an attorney so he has this vocabulary this way and them to make things uh clear and by Joe, you mean Joe Rosbach? Yes, Joe Rosbach. You know, <clears throat> we had a really, really good thing going. And of course, you know, again, the economy, when it kind of crashed and the things ended and, you know, that's when, you know, of course, Ian left and uh, I bought him back out. And then uh, Richard, a couple of years after that, you know, he went on and created this dynasty. <laughs> what, I don't know what you would call it. It's, it's just pretty amazing what he's done. Uh, when I look, when I look back at it, I'm like, holy shit. Oops. I probably shouldn't have said that. Um, he's just, uh, uh, you know, I, I look at the, you know, a number of Twitter followers. I'm like, what the hell, you know? And, uh, you know, I've got, there's some times where I just, I just laugh and, <clears throat> you know, and that, that's, that kind of, that's that, those those memories is kind of what brought me back into shooting just recently. Well, you know, in, in this last winter, I just, you know, Todd was just hammering on me about going to sh- and shooting again. And, you know, we're best friends, man. We've been friends for so long. And, and you know, he's just like, you got to start shooting. You got to start shooting again. You know, I get out of the blue. I get, a, you know, a, a text from... uh from uh, uh, Richard and just asked me if I was, you know, how's things going? You know, you're shooting again. And uh, <coughs> Nye Simmons, which, uh, you know, same deal. You know, he's on me, you know, monthly. 
uh, for, for five years, uh, trying to, trying to, you know, get me back out there. And I started looking through files, you know, I was going through my Drobo and just, you know, looking through a picture and I even, when I posted my, my coming back, you know, uh, blog post on my blog, you know, I, I talk about this very thing, you know, uh, I was just looking through them and there was this, you've seen the, the photographs I've got uh, in the, uh, the care, the Carolina Bay shot with, uh, it's like a swamp. It's, you know, the, it's the, uh, the pond tupelos, um, and it's this beautiful golden grass and these perfectly yeah. straight trees. <laughs> and then there's, this guy that's planted to the tree and he's just hugging it about 20 feet off the ground. Well, that was Richard. And I just, you know, it's just cracking the heck up because, you know, we were there with a, with on a workshop uh, group. We were, we were, it was on our last day and, you know, here we are all shooting and I'm all set up and talking to all these guys. And then all of a sudden I see this, you know, right in the viewfinder, this body just laughing his ass off and he's hanging onto a tree. <laughs> You know, and this is the kind of things that I just, I miss. Right, and right. I missed that. I missed that um, as well as shooting and being out with friends. And because uh, photographers, you know, yeah, there's some out there that are just assholes. I don't know what else to say. You know, they come in behind you, you know, they take a picture of a bunch of flowers in the Smokies. And as soon as they get it done, they just cut them all down because they don't want it. This happens. Really? Oh, it's bad. You know, and, and, you know, you, you walk up to a group. I've had this happen. You know, Jeez. I just walk up to a group of guys and say, Hey man, how, how's things going? You know, five or six guys stand there and, uh, you know, how's things going? You know, it's, it's spring. It's, uh, you know, flowers are just starting to come up. I'm like, what, how's things looking out? And, you know, and they just kind of look at me and say, you'll have to look at it. You'll have to find out for yourself. Right. You know, those, those kind of things. I'm like, what the, what's going on here? Right. You know, why do we have to be this way? <laughs> You know, so this is, this is, you know, it's, it's, it's social media is what's somewhat done this to us, you know, that like, and this is, this is where the sabbatical came from. I I just had to get it out of my hair, Uh, you know, where you got to the point where, well, I'll give you a little, a, a quick little story. It was my, my, my last Smokies workshop. It was a spring workshop. Uh, I was almost full and I had four guys from California that were wanting to come out and they wanted a discount. All four of them. I was trying to work it out with them and I'm a local. So I know the Smokies really well. And he said, I got one of the guy I'm looking at and I'll give you a call back <laughs> after I made him, after I made him the deal. So <clears throat> he didn't call me back and, you know, and it was, it was, you know, I'd, I'd only given him a couple of days. So I called him and he goes, well, I just decided to go with someone else. And I just asked him, I said, who? And he told me, and I said, seriously, this guy had only been shooting for mm, a couple of years, really young guy. Um, I cannot remember his name and I wouldn't say it if I did, but uh, you know, the guy had never been to the Smokies. And he, cho- I asked him, I said, why did you choose him? He goes, well, he has 50 times more followers than you have on inter- on uh, Facebook. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, you know, so it, it just, 
I came to the conclusion that, you know, it, it was like likes on Instagram and likes on Twitter and likes on, uh, you know, Facebook seem to have more gravity with people than I've got eight books and I've been shooting since, well, you know, for 20 years. Yeah, it's crazy, uh, right? <laughs> and I'm like, what the, you know, I just, I don't understand. Um, so I just really just got discouraged, uh, you know, with the economy and, you know, struggling, trying to get through the changes and watching the book industry kind of die. It didn't really die. It just changed. So uh, I was late on making that move. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I kind of wanted, I didn't want it to change. So uh, partly my fault, but, you know, it was, it, it was good to take that time. And I'm really happy uh, with where I'm at today. Uh, I want to be shooting a lot more. Uh, <laughs> Who doesn't? I want to be in the, I want to be in the field more. I want to be doing more good for conservation. That's probably my number one, you know, so, but I don't care, you know, what, how many likes someone gets, you know, I mean, I, I find it comical. I mean, there's some photographs that get posted from my region that Fuji Chrome Velvia, not even close. We used to, you know, we, you know, we called it Disney Chrome back in the day. Right. You know, it's just this, some of this stuff is ridiculous, but, and it gets 2000 likes on the online. And, you know, I, I work really hard to make mine look natural and beautiful like it was when I was there. And, you know, I, you know, I struggle to get a hundred. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, some of there's, Gosh, there's so many reasons for that. The movie, I feel like we could theorize anyway. I mean, yeah, no. there's, it, I don't know. I, I kind of came to the realization a while ago that, you know, you, you really shouldn't, I know it's hard, but you really shouldn't compare yourself to other people in general just because. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. You don't know why they got all those likes. Half of them could be bots, you know, could be paid, exactly. could be paid for. Yeah. So like hindsight being 2020, and thinking about your five-year sabbatical and looking back on how the industry changed, like what, what if, what would you have done differently if you could go back? Well, um, I would have probably sold mountain trail press when I had a chance. And now this is if everything was perfect. And then I would have followed in, in Richard's and Ian's footsteps and, started traveling the world and, 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 you know, teaching workshops. I do miss that. I do, you know, I do dream about the fact, you know, I love to, I love to, to keep up with Richard, uh, you know, when he goes to, to, uh, to Africa, uh, and spends, you know, months in Africa, you know, uh, the connections that he's created there. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing to see the growth and the hard work, uh, you know, I love to see a, a friend, you know, make it big mm-hmm. and, and to still uh, be a damn nice guy, not be an ass. Cause a lot of guys, when they get super successful, 
you know, they, they could care less of their past. I like, you know, I like when good people, you know, are able to, to grow. And I would have loved to have been part of that, but I couldn't have left my, my kid for that kind of time. I mean, I just can't. Right. My, I grew up with a dad that was a, was a coach. So he was gone a lot. Mm-hmm. He was a, he was a head coach. Uh, so, you know, his life was being a coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I miss that part of it. When my daughter came, you know, that was my second, it's my second wife. And, you know, it's, it, it was the daughter that I've always wanted. Um, my first wife didn't want kids and that was basically what happened. I wanted one. And so when she came, things changed. Mm-hmm. So if that was different, I would have loved to have, you know, been a world traveler and, and moved along with like Richard and Ian did. But I would never trade where I'm at today because my daughter and my my wife are they're my life. I was gonna say sometimes you wonder, like in ten years or fifteen years, if some photographers, if you ask them that same question, if they would answer that they wish they would have, you know, spent more time with their family or something like that. It's, it's interesting, <laughs> right? I think the I think the bulk of them would say probably so. But some families can thrive being separated like that. Right, right. No, I agree. I've, I've seen right. some examples um, of that. Most don't. It's a small percentage. You look at photographers. Man, they marriages die pretty heavily for photographers. Yeah, that's what happened to yeah, actually, yeah. Ansel Adams, mm-hmm. actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> there, it's a huge list. I mean, you look at all the biggies. Uh <laughs> There, most all of them, right. uh, very few uh, families could handle the separation that's required for a world traveler. Right. <laughs> so that's why I chose to stick with my region, with the Blue Ridge and the Southeast. And I would venture out to Colorado and, and, and you know, that was to go out and hang out with Todd and go shoot, in, you know, in, in the mountains. And, you know, I spent seven years there. Um, so, uh, man, I tried, I tried and tried and tried to move back. (laughs) It's just too damn expensive. There's no way it's so much cheaper here. Yeah. That's no joke. (laughs) And and I can jump on a plane in Asheville and be in Denver in three hours and it costs me 200 bucks each way. No, hundred bucks each way. $200 round trip. Nice. So I can do that. Todd can pick me up there at the airport. He lives in golden now. No problem. We're good. We're golden. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. Exactly. Well, cool, man. So I guess kind of winding down, I'm curious, uh, who would you recommend uh, for people to be on the podcast? Well, you know, my number one, right? I don't. You got you to gotta, you gotta talk to Todd. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Todd, Todd is, uh, you know, I, he'd be my number one, you know, Todd Cottle. And, uh, of course, I think you probably will. Richard would be a good one. Joe would be a good one. Tony Sweet. If you've never talked to Tony, if you can tie him down, he would be, he, you know, just super, super nice guy. Um, Max Stone. 
if you can tie him down, Mac is just an amazing guy that he, and he is 100% conservation. So kind of, you know, he, he, he could give you insight to what you, you know, the real insight to conservation work. Cool. No, Clay Bolt, Clay Bolt, same way. Right. No, I've heard of Clay Bolt. I've reached out yeah. to him a couple Clay's of times. A, yeah. Yeah. Clay's a really good friend of mine. Uh, he lived, we worked together um, on some, some stuff here uh, when he lived in South Carolina. Now he's out in Montana. Um, and of course, Dr. Nye Simmons, if you could ever tie him down, he he's wonderful to talk with. Uh, he's a techie, you know, he is a doctor. Um, but, uh, he's, he's with that, uh, Charlie Kramer brigade. Uh, sure. That, that artsy, really artsy, uh, photographer. I did a wonderful book for him. Beautiful book. Nice. Well, cool, man. It was really fun hearing about your journey as a photographer and a book publisher. And, and, uh, I look forward to, uh, more, more bantering on Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> oh yeah. And, uh, you know, just, uh, anybody that wants to do a, uh, you know, need some, need some printing done. I'm the person to get it done for you. Yeah, absolutely. How can people learn more about that? Uh, well, now my, now my mountain trail press website, uh, it's mountain trail press.com. Um, you know, that is, it looks old. Uh, it is going to be updated. It used to be full of books and stuff, and now it's down because I'm not, I, I don't, uh, at the moment, I'm not publishing books through my imprint. I am actually only custom publishing for other people and brokering for other people. So it'll be more information about that. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, we'll- and of course, you can always, you can get to it. The easiest way is just go to Jerry Greer Photography and dot com and, and there's a link there as well cool you can come on check out my photographs as well yeah i was actually looking at them again today and there's some really cool stuff in there all right well thanks to jerry for our very fun conversation i really enjoyed speaking with you and hopefully our listeners took something away around burnout and book publishing okay the time has come we are finally ready to announce the winner of our inaugural landscape conservation award I learned quite a bit through the process, and if we do another one of these, I'll be sure to take the feedback from our amazing judges and incorporate it into our process next time. We had a total of six nominees for the award, so thank you to everyone who stepped up and nominated a photographer for the award. We also had eight incredible judges, including Michael Rung, Candace Dyer, Nathan St. Andre, Wayne Suggs, Greg Witten, Julie Boyd, Rajesh Jodhis Warren and Mark Hespin Heidi. Thank you guys. Okay, our nominees included Michael Gordon, Kayla Sulak, Phil Monson, Michael Remke, Eric Stensland, and J. Henry Fair. Our goal for the award was to recognize an individual photographer who is highly involved in conservation issues within their local communities or within the landscape and nature photography community. This can be through their writing, speaking, photography projects, or community organizing efforts. Additionally, the award wants to recognize an individual that is actively practicing the Nature First principles. Let's talk a little bit about our award criteria. We had four different domains by which each nominee was rated on a scale from 1 to 10. 
These four scores were totaled for each domain and then the average of every nominee's total score was calculated. Lastly, the average total score for each nominee was reached by dividing their total score by 8, which was the total number of judges that we had. Here were our four domains. Responsibility. The responsibility uh, part of the award seeks photographers that actively practice and promote the nature-first principles in their communities and where they photograph. Leadership. The award seeks photographers who are highly involved in conservation issues within their local communities or within the landscape and nature photography community. This can be through writing, speaking, or community organizing efforts. Impact. The award seeks photographers that use their photographs to tell stories about conservation issues and or initiatives, achieving tangible impact that helps advance conservation. Outreach. The award seeks photographers that use their, uses their platforms to educate others to learn the importance of conservation issues and educate others about or inspire others to practice the nature first principles. In the end, it was a very close contest with the total averages ranging from 29.1 to 35. It was really tight. All right. Da, 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 da. Congratulations to J. Henry Fair for winning the award. Here is what J. Henry Fair had to say about his work. Quote, More than 20 years ago, I decided that commercial photography was all about promoting consumption, which is the scourge of the planet. So I devoted myself to conservation causes. It started with local efforts to preserve open space from development, then progressed to international campaigns to persuade companies to change their behavior towards the environment. My sidelines have included starting a wolf center to promote education about wild spaces and foster reintroduction, reintroduction of wolves to the wild. Man, keep up the good work, Jay Henry. I really appreciate everything you're doing. And uh, it was really awesome. And I'm so glad I had eight judges to help pick because the, uh, the competition was, was really tight. I included a link to the, the websites of everyone who was nominated so you can check those out. So I highly encourage you to go look to see what they're doing. And I'll post a little bit more in the show notes um, about kind of what each individual photographer was nominated for. All right. Well, let's talk about who's coming up on the podcast we have uh, Michael Strickland coming up next. He is a film photographer living in Kansas. We have Nikki Rausch. She's a sales coach. We have Toby Harriman, an aerial photographer living in Alaska and San Francisco. And we have Christian Fletcher, a photographer from Australia. Okay, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.